super thankful for how God provides for us. Um, you know, we, we this morning we just uh, we just quoted aloud together from this very chapter, right? Romans chapter eight, where where we know that that all things work together for our good. So so we want to trust that, and we want to we want to let that inform how we do what we do as a church. And so we are thankful for God's provision. I mean, just look around us, like. Who knew that this would be what God would provide for us when we, we felt like we didn't know where we were going to go? And God said, help, I got this for you. So, so we trust God, and we're so thankful for, for the ways that so many of you faithfully give and support, and, and you trust the Lord for that. So, uh, so just thank you for that, and, and we're, we're so grateful for what God has done. And we're, we're looking forward to what He's going to continue to do in and through our body. Uh, we, we believe firmly that God has placed us here for uh, a reason, that we're here on purpose, and that uh, he's going to provide what we need to accomplish those purposes. And so we're, we're just asking you to partner with us in that. So thank you for all that you have done and, and all that you will do and your sensitivity to the Lord in that uh, as we seek that together. So uh, so this morning we get to continue in our sermon series through the book of Romans. Thanks to Nate for reading that for us. Um, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and if you hopefully you already have it open to that. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some in the back um, on the little table there little blue ones that have little miniature print. So if you want to take one of those, you can get one of those in uh, some binoculars or a magnifying glass to try to see what that says. Um, but we invite you to turn there with us. Um, and, and so, yeah, we, we, get to, we get to continue our journey through the book of Romans. It's been a journey. I know each week we kind of get up here and we, uh, we kind of talk about this, like, man, this book is like incredible. It's so dense and so rich and so full of wisdom and, and deep theological truths and profound statements that God is declaring and all of these things. And, and it's true. It's true. I know I, myself and Scott, we talk a lot about just feeling so humbled as we try to approach the, the words of this book. Like It's just so humbling to, to try and, one, wrap our own hearts and our minds around what God is saying to us. And then figure out how we're going to try to convey those things to you. And we just, we just really have to rely on the, the Spirit to help us. And so that's what our hope is this morning. As we, as we continue in these next two verses. That uh, There's only two verses here, but it, my goodness, it's some of the most chock-full verses that you could imagine. Uh, some of these concepts are so far beyond us. But, so, but we, we want the Lord to help us this morning. And so that's our hope. And so... Uh, let me just pray another brief prayer for us that God would help us as we encounter his word together, that he would help us all to have ears to hear, and he would give me words um, to say through his spirit. So Father, we love you, and we thank you. We thank you for this body that you have put together. Uh, you tell us that you, uh, you build your church, and that you assemble your church, and you bring uh, people into your church on purpose, and you gift us um, with the gifts that you see fit. There are no Frankenstein churches, God, that each church functions as a body well. And it's your purpose and it's your intention. And so, God, this morning, um, we ask that you continue to minister to us as we open up your word, as we, as we think about this very thing that I'm doing now, where we're praying to you and, and talking to you and communing with you and the intricacies of this. I feel the weight of this text even now as I'm speaking. And so God, help us by your Spirit. We know that you love us. And we know that you promise that all things work together for our good. And so we trust that this morning. And we ask for your help further in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 
So as we've been working our way through Romans, um, if Romans has shown us anything so far, it's that we need help. <laughs> we, we are people in great need of help. We're very weak. We're bro- broken. We're needy. We're, we're, we're creatures who are mired in sin and struggle. We, we come into the world captured and ruled by sin. We see God, but we suppress the truth about Him. We exchange His glory for the glory of lesser things, created things. And we find ourselves, because of all of that, squarely and rightfully in the sights of God's perfect and just wrath. And on our own, we need help. There's absolutely nothing that we can do about any of that in our own But what Romans has also shown us is that the help that we need has been provided. It's been provided to us at just the right time and in just the right way. The very thing that we couldn't do, God has done. And now, because of the work of Christ for us and in us and to us, we are united to him. We've been talking about this for the past several weeks. We are, we are now united to Christ. We are united to Him in His life. We're joined to Him in His death. And united to Him in His resurrection. All of those things that Christ did perfectly, we now get to partake in. We are united to. We are joined in. We are brought in. And here in chapter 8, we've been looking at some of these realities. The realities of what it means now for us to actually be united with Christ. God is making these declarations. He's not making hypothesis or postulations. He's not saying wishful things. He's saying these are true. These are things that, are, that I declare to be true about you. When you are in Christ, this is what's true about you. I like what Ray Ortland says about Romans chapter 8. He says, Romans chapter 8 magnifies the gospel. But it doesn't magnify it like a magnifying glass that makes something small look bigger than it is. Magnifies it like a telescope. It takes something that's very big and brings it very close. Romans 8 magnifies the truth of the gospel for us. It helps us to see these big truths and it brings it right up into our face, right into our heart, right in our lap. And we see things like that we now and forevermore have no condemnation in Christ. We see that we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We see that we have been given a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. We've been brought into God's family. We see that we are now heirs of God with Christ. We see that we can live and persevere through any suffering that we may face because of the great hope that we have in Christ. And that God will complete His redemption of us, all of us. All of who we are will be redeemed. 
And we will share in his glory as he glorifies us to be with him forever. These are mountainous truths all in one chapter. But for now, though we have all of these things, and we know that we have them because God says that we have them, though all of this is true about us, we are still weak. The Bible is honest with us. It says all of these things are true about you, but you are still weak. And we need help. We still need help. But thankfully, God knows this. And God saw this coming. And this is not a detour from God's plan of redemption. This is God's plan of redemption. And from the beginning, God knew that we would need help. And he knew just the way that he would provide that help. It's all part of his plan. In John chapter 14, Jesus, while he was still, before he died, resurrected, he's talking to his disciples. And he says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will send you a helper. See, he knew that we were going to need help. God knew, Jesus knew, and they, they had a plan. They said, they're going to need help. And Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you he uses this word, a helper, a paraclete. And if you have kids who play sports, not a pair of cleats, <laughs> paraclete. My wife is mockingly laughing at me. <laughs> but Jesus says, I'm going to send you the helper. This helper is the Holy Spirit. This helper is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps us in many ways. Does things like leading us into truth by reminding us of what Jesus taught. Helping us to put together the deeds of the flesh. But here in our text today, we see one specific way that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit helps us in our prayer. Prayer is a often talked about, often as, as, it's as neglected as it is talked about. <laughs> it's as misunderstood as it is talked about, I think, in the church. But we see here that God is telling us that in our prayer we are weak. And I, I believe that. Because <laughs> I see it in my own life and in my own heart. I see my weakness in my prayer. I feel it. It's discouraging to me often. How I, how I feel weak in my prayer life. and I, I feel like my prayer don't have, doesn't have power. I feel like I, I should be seeing more things and, and having more answers and uh, wh- whatever it is. We fill in the blank, right? We feel weak. We feel it. We very, very viscerally feel it. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, I would, I would assume that you feel that too. But what we, what we have to understand here, first and foremost, what we see is that Prayer for us as believers is not optional. That's our first point. For the believer, prayer is not an optional thing. It's not something like if you get around to it or once you get better at it. This is not something that the Bible talks about lightly. It's not, it's not an add-on thing. It's not a secondary thing. 
When Jesus talks about prayer, when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, he says, he doesn't say, if you pray, he says, when you pray. When you pray, pray like this. He's assuming that we're going to be praying. It's, it's, not, it's not an if thing, it's a when. When you pray, pray like this. It's never treated as a, a secondary activity or a last resort. Prayer is talked about as a necessary practice, and one might even say a lifestyle for every person who belongs to Jesus. This is, this is how the Bible talks about prayer. Right away, right? You start to feel that, oh, that's, that's not me. Right? You, feel that you feel our, even in that sentence, I felt my weakness, right? I felt my weakness in prayer. When, when we see the Bible, how, the, how God talks about prayer in the Bible, and then we see our life, we immediately are made aware of, all right, well, I'm weak in that. Here, here are some of the ways that Bible talks about prayer, and I'll just read through these quickly. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Matthew 7, 7. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. In Colossians 4, 2, Paul instructs the church to continue steadfastly in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. There's many, many more. This is how the Bible talks about, this is how God talks about prayer. Do you feel your weakness in it? I feel my weakness in that. Prayer is a necessity. Prayer is a key component to walking in the new life that we have in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And part of being that new creation now is being a person of prayer. A pastor from long ago, John Stott, says this. He says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And right here in the middle of Romans chapter 8, we see Paul, once again, talking about prayer as an assumed activity for us. For those who are in Christ. It's assumed. He's not saying, hey, you should get around to this. He's like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you about prayer. You should do that too. Paul is saying prayer is what we do. We do it without ceasing. We do it steadfastly. We, we, we labor in prayer. We give ourselves to prayer. All of these things. But it's hard. And prayer is hard because we are weak. Prayer is hard because we are weak. If prayer is seen here as such an essential thing, it's essential as it is breathing for us. But just because 
something is essential to our life does not mean that it comes easily or naturally to us. We know that. Right? For instance, the other day I learned, I don't know, I never heard of this before, but apparently there's something called shallow breathing. Most of us are breathing wrong. If you didn't know that. Another thing for you to be worrying about. Did you know that you were breathing incorrectly? And you can breathe correctly if you just buy this device that will help you now breathe correctly. Like, I didn't know I was breathing wrong. Gee, many Christmas. Yeah, you can breathe wrong. I'm not a doctor or the son of a doctor. Apparently this is a real thing. I don't know. Maybe it isn't. My doctors in the room could correct me on that. We feel this reality. We feel the reality of this in our lives. We feel the reality of our weakness. We just talked about it in our our previous passage last week. All of creation, including us, the children of God, is groaning. Longing for more. Waiting for things to be made right. Waiting with hope. Biblical hope. Remember, not, we're not wishing. We're waiting with biblical hope for God's redemption to be complete. We're longing for that day. We're groaning for that day. But in the meantime, life is hard and we are weak. That's reality. That's why we like donuts more than salad. Why do donuts have to taste better than salad? If salad really is better for me, why wouldn't I like it more? This is the struggle, right? Why do I spend more time watching TV than I do exercising? Why is that? Why do we have to use the word spiritual disciplines instead of spiritual treats? Because what is good for us is hard for us. Why? Because even though we are united with Christ and we have His Spirit, our flesh is still weak. Our flesh is weak. That's what Paul's been talking about. Your flesh is weak. And that's okay because God is helping us. And this is why Paul is writing this. So that we can actually be helped. This isn't here to... to, to Beat us over the head and say, toughen up. Pick yourselves up by your bootstraps. Pull it together. Stop being so weak. Paul's, Paul's saying this. No, God knows you're weak. God knows our weakness. Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. In our weakness. Well, he, if, uh, Hebrews 4 says. He knows that we're weak and he sympathizes with us in our weakness. We're not able to do all the things that we need to do. Our natural inclinations are not towards what is actually good for us. That's our flesh. And this is what we're trying to put to get to death. This is what he just talked about. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. The passions of the flesh. The desires of the flesh. The things that the flesh wants and craves. Which just so happens to not be prayer. Prayer falls in that category of prayer is not a flesh thing. Prayer is a spirit thing. So when we're in our flesh, of course we're not going to want to pray. 
Of course it's hard for us. Of course we're going to try to talk ourselves out of it. Of course we're going to feel our weakness. Of course we're going to doubt that God even listens. Of course we're going to be like, what's the point? All of the things, right? And our, fle- our flesh is going to be like, yeah, well, of course. It's hard. Of course, I don't want to go to the gym. That's hard. I know it's good for me. I know the salad is better than the donuts. I know that. I know that intellectually. But there's a disconnect there because why? I'm weak. This is what it's saying. Our flesh is weak. But one day, we don't know when, but God says it'll happen. We won't be weak anymore. We won't be weak anymore. But until then, we are weak, we are fickle, we are frail, fragile, immature, impatient, undisciplined. But once again, God is way ahead of us. And he knows exactly what we need. He said that. Do you believe that? God, that Jesus said, God knows exactly what you need. He knows what we need. And he sees this as our need. He sees that we're weak in this, and he knows how to, to make it better. And here we see in verse 26 that God, once again, has good news, gospel news, for those who are weak and fickle and fragile and immature and impatient and undisciplined. There's good news for those kinds of people. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In the same way that God, by His grace, gives us hope and patience to wait for our final redemption and glorification, here He gives His Spirit to help us in our weakness right now. And specifically here, our weakness when it comes to prayer. He's helping us. He has resources for us to help us in our weakness of prayer. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Why? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit provides the perfect solution to our problem of weakness. The Spirit provides the perfect solution to our problem. We're going to talk about why this is the perfect solution and how this comes about. We see here that prayer is a command and it's a necessity. This is what the Bible's teaching is. Prayer is a command. We're commanded to pray and it is a necessity. You have to pray. You need to pray. But God knows that in our weak state, we do not know, even when we want to pray, we don't know what to pray for the right way. Even if we muster up the strength, the Spirit gives us the strength to pray, even in our best day of praying, we still don't know fully what to pray for. There's still weakness there. And we do know that there are things that God says are very clear, easy things, obvious things that we should be praying for. We should be praying for the lost 
to know Jesus. We should be praying that God would be glorified in our lives, right? There are very obvious things that we can be praying for. But what this is saying is that there are situations that we encounter as God's people that we are told that we should pray about. We don't know what the best outcome should be in those situations. We don't know what to pray for when we encounter these types of situations. Situations like he talks about in the previous verses, right? Sufferings that we face in this world, the trials that we encounter, the things that we come across in life where we are not sure what the best outcome should be. And Jesus tells us many times that whatever we ask for in his name, we will receive. That's pretty wild. Because that verse gets abused a lot. That, ber- that verse gets just ignored because it's confusing a lot. It's like, I don't even know what that means. Because I pray for all kinds of stuff, and I say Jesus' name at the end, and I don't get it. Right? It's like, God, I want the Buckeyes to win the national championship. I want C.J. Stroud to get the Heisman Trophy. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I said in Jesus' name. It's like, hold up. Right? <laughs> It's, there's something else going on here, right? It's not just simply a tagline to our prayer that magically makes it happen. It's not the magic words of prayer. When Jesus says to pray in his name, he's saying, pray according to my character. Pray according to my mission. It means, it means that we have the same priorities that Jesus has. That our priorities line up with his priorities. What was Jesus' highest priority? To do the will of the Father. That's what he says. That's what I'm here to do, the will of the Father. So by praying in Jesus' name, it means that we are praying for the will of the Father to be done. What our problem is, in our weakness, we don't always know what the will of the Father is in every situation. There are things, that, there are things about God's will that he makes known to us, And there are things about God's will that he keeps secret from us. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. There are things about God and what he does that we may never know. We may never fully comprehend or understand. There are mysteries that are deeper than, than whether or not the Buckeyes are going to win this weekend. Much deeper than these kinds of things. The mysteries that we are talking about are the mysteries that have to do with the struggles of our lives, the the trials that we face, the outcomes that we're not aware of or unsure of. When we encounter suffering in this life, we don't always know what God's will will be when when we're sick. Do we pray for healing? Do we pray for endurance and hope? To suffer well and endure our sickness? What do we pray for? Both. <laughs> right? We, both would be good things, right? Both would be acceptable things to pray for. God, God would be glorified in and through our healing, but God would be glorified in and through our, our hopeful, patient endurance of our sickness. So, so what do we pray for? We face persecution. Should we pray for safety and rescue? Escape? Or do we pray for courage 
to withstand and, and stand strong in the faith, even to the point of death, what should we pray for? Is one more God-glorifying than the other? We don't, we don't know. They both could glorify God. We can see good in both outcomes. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. And that's okay. That's what he's saying. Because God, in His grace, has given us His Spirit. And that Spirit, His Spirit, dwells within us. And He knows our thoughts and our motivations. And the Spirit knows the will of God because He is God. You following the train of logic here? God has given us His Spirit. Spirit dwells within us. Spirit knows us intimately. Our hearts, our thoughts, our motivations. The Spirit just so happens to know the perfect will of God because the Spirit is God. This is why He is the perfect solution to our problem of weakness in our prayer. We don't know what to pray. We don't know, we don't know what to pray for as we ought to pray. But that's okay. Because God has made a provision for us. He is able to see our thoughts. He knows the deepest places of our hearts. There's nothing that we can hide from the Spirit of God in us. And at the same time, He knows the good and the perfect will of God in every situation. He says in verse 27, and He's able to intercede for the saints according to the will of God. Why? Because He knows the will of God. He knows what the outcome should be. And this word intercession, it simply means that he is speaking on our behalf. Speaking a better word on our behalf. He's petitioning for us. He's going on our behalf before God. And this happens in ways that we cannot always discern or, or hear. This happens within us. It says there are groanings too deep for words. Now, some people would take these, this idea and, and say, well, oh, that, that's, me. that's talking about speaking in tongues. This text is not talking about speaking in tongues. There are other texts for other days that we can talk about speaking in tongues. This text is not talking about speaking in tongues. This is the Holy Spirit of God within us, going to the Father on our behalf and perfectly petitioning Him so that God's will will be perfectly brought about in our lives in the exact way that God intended it for it to happen. That's what the Spirit does on our behalf. So does that mean we shouldn't pursue the will of God ourselves or that it doesn't matter if we pray now? Because the Spirit's just going to do it for us. By no means. Right? By no means. In the same way, 1 John 2 says that when we sin, Jesus is our advocate before the Father, speaking a better word for us. Great, so does that mean we should just keep sinning? What does Paul say? By no means. That's not what you're, you're missing it. We've talked about this for several weeks, right? That doesn't mean we just keep on sinning. It means that God is in the process of ridding us of our sin. And in the meantime, we need an advocate before the Father going on our behalf. 
In the same way here, we see that just because the Spirit is interceding for us when we pray, doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray or we should be lazy or nonchalant with our prayer or negligent of our prayer. It's like, oh, the Spirit's just going to intercede anyway. No, he's saying, by no means, you're missing the point. It should give us more encouragement to pray. It should give us, push us deeper into prayer because we know that the Spirit is interceding. We have a voice going on our behalf perfectly who knows the will of God who also knows our hearts and he's able to marry the two perfectly in just the right way that we need. It means that we're in process of understanding how to pray. We're in process of discerning what the will of God is. Something that the Spirit reveals to us and teaches us and we grow in. And the more we pray, the more the Spirit intercedes for us, the more we start to recognize what the good and the perfect will of God is for our lives. Paul talks about this later in chapter 12. That the more we are transformed by the Spirit, the more we're able to discern what the will of God is. Not the, not. Totally, we don't have the mind of God, but we, we grow in our understanding. We're able, to, we're able to sense more and more through the Spirit of what God's will is for us in our lives. So, we are called and commanded to pray. God tells us that He works through the prayer of His people. Prayer is one of God's instruments to bring about His purposes and His sovereignty and His wisdom. We can't fully explain it, but this is what God says. But because of our weakness, we don't always know what we ought to pray for. But thanks be to God that the Spirit intercedes from within us to the Father according to His perfect will. And this gives us great hope and great rest. We're able to now rest in the work of the Spirit on our behalf. We're able to work, rest in the work of Christ on our behalf. that unites us with Him and gives us the Spirit that now dwells in us. We're able to rest and have great hope. Why? Because we know that we have intercessors. Notice I said plural. We have intercessors. We have someone going to the Father on our behalf continually, both externally and internally. This is where it starts getting really deep. Externally and internally, we have intercessors. We often talk about Jesus being at the right hand of the Father, right? We talk about this often, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for us. Paul says it later in this chapter. He's, he's right now, in this moment, on this day, in this moment, in this hour, he is at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding for us. But, we know that God isn't just far off and distant. God isn't just up there somewhere. God is everywhere. God is near to us we see here in verse 27 that it says that god is searching hearts god is searching hearts do you wonder what the lord will find when he searches your heart 
Are you afraid of what he'll find? Are you leery of what he'll find? It says that he's searching hearts. Does that hinder our prayers? If we're honest with ourselves for a moment, and we take that concept that God is actively searching the hearts of people, does that affect how we pray? Are we afraid of what he'll see? As if he doesn't already see it and know it? Do we allow what's, what's in our hearts, our weakness, to prohibit us from praying? When God searches the hearts of his redeemed children, what does he find? What does he find? He finds his spirit. He finds the Holy Spirit. That's what he finds. That's what he's telling us. When God searches our hearts, who's there? The Holy Spirit. Like, hey, I'm already here. So not only do we have Jesus at the right hand of the Father speaking better words about our forgiveness and our justification before God, we also have the Spirit within us interceding for us, crying out to the Father in perfect accordance with the Father's will. Knowing that there is no condemnation. Why? Because we're in Christ. So we don't have to cower away this is what Hebrews 4 is talking about. We, we can go into the throne room boldly now because we have a great high priest, because we have intercessors, and we can go before the throne room of God and receive what? Grace and mercy in our time of need, when we need it, what we need, when we need it, all according to the perfect will of God because the Spirit knows the perfect will of God and the Spirit lives in you and me. So we can rest in that. And so this, this doesn't pull us back from prayer. This doesn't cause us to go, oh, whew, okay, good. I don't have to worry about that anymore. No, it pushes us deeper into prayer. It pushes us deeper into the throne room. It pushes us deeper into dependence now that we know, okay, I can bring my weakness. Because why? Because the Spirit helps me in my weakness, in my prayer. Let's pray. I'm going to hand it over to Scott. Jesus, thank you for this truth. Father, we praise you that this is our reality in Christ. And we ask that you help us to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.